0: He's the camp pastor for the week. Pine Springs Ranch, swimming pools, horseback riding, all kinds of fun things, right? How many of you would have the audacity to call that work? Huh? (laughs) Think about it. Well, you know, that whole designated hitter thing kind of backfired on me last week. And I have a confession to make. And as my mother used to say, too often, your sins will find you out. I decided to play hooky last week and not come to Sabbath school. And because I did that, I had no idea that I was standing in for church, or for doing the offering call. So, anyway, as I walked in at 11 o'clock, Lou was getting up to, uh, that's okay. As Lou was getting up to uh, give the offering call, he said, Well, I'm pitch hitting for Dave Calder. Okay, so we have a fill in for the fill in. And, um, you know, he told a wonderful story, if you remember it. He's not here, so I'll try to tell it. Real short, family goes out to dinner, and as the father is getting ready to pay the bill, the little girl looks at him and says, Daddy, you're cheating God. And the father says, What? How so? Because you're giving the waitress 15%, and you're only giving God 10%. Wasn't that a great story? To me, that was a sermon in itself. And my sermon this, uh, this week was supposed to be on the subject of stewardship. And I thought, no, put that one back on the shelf, because that set it all right there for me. It was a wonderful story. So anyway, I spent some time this week trying to find something, something else to, to give you as a message this morning. And I was in the process of cleaning up my uh, inbox and my email, and I came across this story that I had sent to myself about a month ago. And I do that once in a while. I'll go out and I'll read things, and uh, I like it, or I don't have time for it. So, you know, I hit the little button that says send to a friend. You know, I'm on pretty good terms with myself, so I send it to myself. (laughs) And, uh, And I came across it, and I thought it was a wonderful story. And as I read it, I thought, now this has some spiritual value, something that we can use. And it's on the topic of investing. And, you know, I'm kind of an amateur investor. You know, I like to get in and look at companies and try to figure out which ones are going to do well and, and, and you know, maybe buy a few shares and, and, you know, I've had mixed success. You know, I've had, for as much as I've gained, I've probably lost. So, you know, some would call that gambling and, well, maybe so, I don't know. But anyway, investing. So this article was called, Are You, smarter, are you a Smarter Investor Than a Fifth Grader? Under the heading, it says, you'd be hard-pressed to outdo the young players who topped a stock market, stock market contest by following five principles. So this morning, I would like to share with you five principles for investing. Not your typical investing, though. Not investing in the world's financial markets like the New York Stock Exchange or NASDAQ or the London FTSE or the French CAC. Not even stocks or bonds or electronically traded funds but investing in something much more lasting and important than wealth building. I'm talking about your personal investment in things eternal. You see, these five investing principles cross over into the spiritual dimension. And just as you must, must follow a set of prescribed actions to achieve fi- success in financial investing, so it is with investing in eternal life. As you listen to this story of these fifth graders, Think about how you approach spiritual investing. What is your personal investment plan? So here we go. Wall Street might shrug off the likes of Amara Shake, Sharon Hong, and Janet Liu simply because they're giggly 11-year-olds with braces and backpacks. But if you want to make some serious money in the stock market, you'd be wise to take some pointers from these fifth graders from Tom Matsumoto Elementary School in San Jose, California. In a matter of 10 tumultuous weeks earlier this year, they earned double-digit returns on their stock portfolios, about 10 times more than the average index fund. Pretty remarkable, isn't it? The kids were participating in what's called the stock market game. It's a national education effort that allows youngsters to invest a hypothetical $100,000 portfolio like a grown-up. Now I'm a grown-up, and I don't have 100,000, so I don't know if this really <laughs> applies, but anyway. Selecting real stocks to buy and sell, paying trading fees, and enjoying or suffering the consequences of their decisions. 44 kids at Matsumoto Elementary broke into 13 stock-picking teams and did so well, they won all 10 of the top awards in the San Francisco Bay Area. The article's author talked to six of these winners as well as the Midwestern winner of the Stock Market Games essay contest to see whether their strategies could help all of us be better investors. Here are the five lessons learned from the kids. Principle number one, buy what you know. Buy what you know. Every time 10-year-old Ashley Wong sits down to write a report, she starts by searching, how would you answer that? Internet? Google, right? When Courtney Wynn, age 10, is in the mall, and that's pretty often, she notices that the Apple store is always packed. Asked 10 year old KDT and her friends where they got their cell phones, and four of the six chorus, What do you think? Verizon, right? The two others didn't name Verizon because they don't even have cell phones. Not surprisingly, all of these companies ended up in these girls' portfolios. So did Southwest Airlines which Amara's parents prefer when they fly, and Sony, which made the TVs that are in Sharon's house, Barnes & Noble, where they buy their books, and Walt Disney, well, for obvious reasons. They're all stocks that we use in our everyday lives, Amara said. And that's the key, stocks that they use in their everyday lives. Is that an unsophisticated way to invest or to pick investments? Not according to Peter Lynch, who ran Fidelity Investments Magellan Fund from 1977 to 1990 and turned the fund into one of the nation's largest, thanks to spectacular market-beating returns. So, as we look at our spiritual investment, it's not uncommon for us to search the Bible for those rare, hidden gems of knowledge and truth, some obscure or hidden piece of information that will bring new meaning to our spiritual existence or experience. Like a stock investor searching for a biotech company that will bring that rare opportunity for rapid growth, we can get caught up trying to find something unique. However, it's the everyday recognizable blue-chip companies, or should I say blue-chip truths, that often go without much thought or notice that yield the biggest gains in our spiritual journey. And what are those blue-chip truths? Well, I would suggest to you that they are the basic principles and precepts of God. Like those found in Exodus chapter 20, I am your God, and I want to be first in your life. I want you to respect my name and remember to keep the Sabbath day holy. Jesus reiterated these when he said, The greatest commandments are to love the Lord your God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. You see, it is when you focus on what you know, what is relatively easy to understand, that you realize a better way to live and make a better investment. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 9 to 10, it's written, Then the Lord your God will make you most prosperous in all the work of your hands and in the fruit of your womb, the young young of your livestock and the crops of your land. The Lord will again delight in you and make you prosperous, just as he delighted in your fathers, if... You obey the Lord your God and keep his commands and decrees that are written in this book of the law and turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all of your soul. Ezra wrote wrote in the book by the same name, chapter 7, verse 10, the king had granted him, Ezra, everything he asked for, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws to Israel. In Psalm, the psalmist wrote in chapter 40, I desire to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. So studying and applying God's will in our daily living and getting it into our hearts will lead to a more satisfying and rewarding experience. So principle number one, look for what you know. Principle number two, do your homework. Does any fifth grader like homework? Probably not. Janet was trolling the internet for stock ideas when she ran across a recommendation for Goldman Sachs Group. She started pulling up articles, its stock history, and information about the company's finances. The more she learned, the more she liked it. She talked two teammates into buying shares in the investment banking company because her research indicated it had been hit unjustly hard by troubles in its industry and was due for a rebound. She was right. During the next few weeks, Goldman's shares soared about 38%. Now, I'm not mentioning these companies so you can go home and invest, so don't, don't take that as investment advice, okay? I should have given that disclaimer. Cameron Fisher, an 11-year-old from Kansas City, Missouri, found Cracker Barrel Old Country Store a restaurant operator in much the same way. Looking at five years' worth of stock price history, Fisher figured out that the healthy and profitable company was due for a pop. Its gains helped fuel his team's 9% return over 10 weeks. Picking stocks for profit isn't all about the consumer experience. Some of it is about the numbers and studying. In addition to knowing what a company does, you need to investigate the company's finances and make sure you're comfortable with its trading price. How much growth can be realized strictly through experience? As consumer experience is not enough to determine how well a company is performing, so it is in our growth in Christ. There is no mistaking this, you can't have all knowledge and no experience and grow as a Christian. So the opposite is also true, all experience and no knowledge and learning will not cut it either. Every day we need to feel the benefits that come through a study of scripture in order to better understand the will of God. And also to stand ready to test new information that comes our way. In Acts chapter 17, we read that the people of Berea examine the scriptures every day. Every day is the key and the standard in studying, learning, and growing. Just as you would not expect a physician to treat you with knowledge that he or she acquired 10 or 20 years ago, or your tax man to prepare your returns based on 1989 tax law, or your financial advisor to invest your important retirement funds with information he gathered a year or two ago. So should be the personal diligence required to increase our knowledge of Bible truth. So do your homework. In 2 Timothy, Paul wrote in chapter 3, verses 14 to 16, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So principle number two, do your homework. Principle number three, trade sparingly. Trade sparingly. Warren Buffett, the chairman of Berkshire Hathaway, has become a billionaire through a simple investing philosophy. It is, buy good companies and hold them forever. That's exactly what Sharon, Courtney, and Janet's team did, although forever for the purpose of the game was just the 10 weeks that the game lasted. The strategy is smart for two reasons. One is simply that while the markets have ups and downs, good companies will grow and prosper over the long term. When you own a a piece of those companies, your portfolio grows with them. And the other reason is practical. In the game the kids were playing, they paid 2% of a trade in fees. That could diminish their overall returns by buying four good companies like Apple, AT&T, Goldman Sachs, and Sony, and sitting on their portfolio through the daily ups and downs. Sharon, Courtney, and Janet saved those fees and produced a 28% profit. That equated to a mouth-watering annualized return of 145%. The market as a whole rose less than 3% while they were playing. In real life, ing- investors could find a discount broker and pay much less in trading fees, but they'd also pay capital gains taxes every time they sold and took a profit. And short-term trading means paying at a higher capital gains tax rate. So what's the analogy here? What's the analogy to your spiritual growth strategy? Well, the key words were the market ups and downs. I suspect there's not one of us in here who lives an even, smooth, unchanging life, do we? What is typical is the ups and downs in life. We are tossed this way one day and that way another day. Tragedy, loss, and disappointment can come into our lives in a split second, and everything we have come to depend on will change Like Warren Buffett's investing strategy, we also need a forever mindset. How easy is it to get caught up in the here and now, and when something does not end up the way we thought it would, we are vulnerable to having doubt creep into our minds. If we could step back and look at life as God can, who sees a year as a day, and can appreciate the beginning from the end and all that is in between, we would realize and appreciate, appreciate how God is in control. It is he who has our best interest at heart and is leading us along our spiritual path. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11, Solomon said this, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. In Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians in chapter 2, he encourages us to stand firm. He says, But we ought, to always, we ought always to thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. In Hebrews chapter 10 it says, Because by one sacrifice, that being Jesus, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And the psalmist again in chapter 31 says, be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. So be strong and take heart when you're in uptimes. Be strong and take heart when you're in downtimes. For our hope is in the Lord, who knows from the beginning, from the end. So we also need a forever view on life. Principle number four know when to sell. That's a lesson for me personally. I never know when to sell. I can pick good stocks. I can watch them grow by amazing amounts. And I keep thinking they're going to go higher, even as they're dropping like a rock. So know when to sell. There are two times to sell a stock. First, when you realize your initial purchase was a mistake. And second, when a stock's price has run up so far that you figure you would no longer buy it today. Cameron loves Cracker Barrel, but it fell into the second camp. Cracker Barrel was selling for about $16 a share early in the year when he was buying, but its price had more than doubled by April. Fisher figured that while the company was a bargain at 16 it wasn't such a buy at 33 He figured it was time to take some chips off the table. That move proved perceptive, for Cracker Barrel was selling the following week at only $29 a share. Ashley, Amara, and Katie love Southwest Airlines as a company, it has a good on-time record, which their parents love, and they love the way the, the um, stewardess and attendants have a sense of humor. But the stock was bringing us down, Ashley said. When they bought in mid-February, Southwest was selling for more than $7 a share. It fell to 5 That's roughly a 30% loss within weeks and languished below their purchase price because of investor concerns about the economy and oil prices. The girls decided it wasn't the best time to hitch their fortunes to an airline. They sold the bulk of their Southwest holding and bought Verizon, which they figured would be less harmed by a tough economy. So what's the lesson here? Well, it might be to know when to let go of things in your life that hold you back. Things that take you down spiritually. It may be time for some life simplification. Be prepared to jettison whatever holds you back. As we move through life, we collect a lot of junk, don't we? A lot of it's material, and yet some of it's mental and emotional stuff that affects us spiritually. In your life portfolio, it's not always that something causes you to sin, but it may be that one thing that draws so much of your attention that it keeps you from placing God first in your life. Perhaps job or career... A position in an organization or the church, or even a pastime that calls you all too often to spend too many precious hours of time. In Matthew chapter 18, verses seven to eight, Jesus said, Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to sin. Such things must come, but woe to the man through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet, and be thrown into eternal fire. To me, this says, let go of those things that take your, your spiritual portfolio down. And finally, the last lesson. Principle number five. We've all heard this one before in investing. Diversify. Ann Fleischer, who holds fourth, who teaches fourth and fifth graders at Matsumoto Elementary, spent a few weeks on investment basics before her students started trying to trade stocks. One of the lessons she emphasized is, don't put all your eggs in one basket. The students needed to split their investments among different companies in different industries, she said. That diversification saved Ashley, Amira and Katie, whose portfolio would never have recovered from the Southwest Lost if they hadn't also had Disney and Google. Overall, Fleischer said, her students invested in an array of financial services, technology and entertainment, and retail companies. Only one of the 13 teams lost money. So, avoid seeing everything as permanent and perfect the way it is. Because God's plans for you may take you on a journey that you would never have expected. Now, many of you know my story this past 18 months. I've had a lot of change. Not something that I looked for. I wasn't willing to diversify. I was happy the way things were. I had a career that I had been in for 29 years. And one day somebody decided that that was long enough. And so in the ensuing months, I had to go out and search for a new job. And you know, God always has a plan, and in the process of doing that, I uncovered some health problems that I didn't know I had. That was kind of tough, you know? But I got through it, and you know what? God has placed me in a better place. I thought I was happy. I thought I was in the job that I was going to retire from. But that didn't happen. And now I'm in a place where meetings start with prayer. I'm in a place where you can talk about spiritual things, and that's okay. That's good. That's good stuff. God does have a plan for each of us, and sometimes we need to just need to be open to that. Psalm 1611 You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. So let God diversify your spiritual portfolio. It was just a game, of course, but each of these keys to the kids' success is also a time-tested rule that everyday investors have probably heard. So why is it hard to follow them with real money? It's important to remember that it is a game and that kids came in with a clean $100,000. Not like those of us whose re- retirement accounts were decimated this last year. Still, some of the parents asked if they could come in and sit on all the classes. When we look at investing in things eternal, we have to remind, our thing, remind ourselves that it's not a game. What is at stake is eternity with our Savior. So to recap... The five principles for investing in your eternal future. Principle number one, focus on what you know. The commandments of God, they are your blue-chip truths for living. Principle number two, do your homework. Spend time every day studying the word of God. Principle number three, get a forever mindset to take you through the ups and downs of daily living and let your faith grow by trusting in God. Principle number four, know when to let go of that which will draw you away from God and limits your personal time with your Savior. You may need to sell a few possessions. And principle number five, diversify. Let God lead you each day towards the beauty he has in store for you. He promises you a life in eternity, filled with all that is wonderful, all that is lasting, and the opportunity to spend each and every moment in his presence. When it comes to financial investing, you know, we may not be as smarter than a fifth grader, but by applying these five principles in our spiritual life, we certainly can be as smart as a fifth grader. Let's take the time to invest in our future. Let's invest in eternity. Now, I have one final thought. You know, companies that are traded publicly are required to post statements on all of their documents when they make announcements especially projections of future performance, that especially that describe the fact that just because the company has done well in the past, it may not do, do so in the future. They are referred to as forward-looking statements, and they typically go like this. Certain statements in this document are forward-looking statements within the meaning of the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act. These statements are based on management's current expectations and are subject to uncertainty and changes in circumstances. Actual results may differ materially, materially from those included in these statements due to a variety of factors. You've heard something like that before. They do it faster on the radio, right? When you consider God's word, you find that it is really one continuous forward-looking statement. And if it were written in similar investing law language, it might say something like this: "This document contains forward-looking statements within the meaning of God's kingdom. These statements are based on God's expressed promises and are not subject to uncertainty, despite changes in circumstances. Actual results may differ if you choose, but through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we are assured of salvation. And life everlasting with our Heavenly Father. And as Adventist Christians, we assert the following forward-looking statement: that Jesus is coming again to take us all home for an eternity. Let's pray. Father God, we're so thankful to be have been in your house today. Father, you have given us the principles to live by in life, they are in your word. And Father, if we spend time in that word and we listen to them and we speak with you, you are certain to guide us on a path that's much better than we could ever have believed could possibly happen. Father God, help us to trust in you each and every day. I ask your blessing on each person here today as we leave until we come again next week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.